look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle Matters, it's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. You? I'm, gl- I'm glad the heat wave is over. That was hot. Yeah. Holy well, you were you spent a bit of time in BC. That I was went even to British Columbia, and um, so here's a learning outcome. I got two learning outcomes this <laughs> this week. Learning outcome number one: make sure the place that you rent when you're on vacation has air conditioning. So if you don't, uh, my sweat was sweating. That's how hot it was. Well, you came back a lot thinner. So was, that was good. That was good. Yeah, nothing like staying one week in a sauna. <laughs> and I have to also say I was wrong. You were right. Uh, Mr. Popovich has said many, many months ago that by July 1st, here in Alberta, we will uh, be fully open. I didn't believe him. <laughs> I didn't have any faith in that the government could actually execute that. <laughs> we are fully open uh, to the best as we can be yep. uh, as of July 1st. Uh, so I owe you a steak dinner. Oh, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I'm. I'm so. I'm. I'm any any of you steak uh, <laughs> restaurant owners out there that want to sponsor this event, I could use the help because this guy can eat a lot and yeah. he'll eat expensive meat. So, yep. I'm, and I'm gonna have a little leftover to take home too. I just got to tell sure you. I'm sure you will. I'm planning it out. Well, you were right on that one. I'm wrong, so I want to publicly tell people that that because it's not too often that you're right. So, um, <laughs> fair enough. We've got a good show today. We've yeah, got a we good do. Show. We're going to talk a little bit about Calgary. Um, you know, we've gone through a long stretch in Calgary where there's been problems and job losses and everything else. But you know what? Um, there was an international study done that ranks Calgary as the 13th uh, best work-life balance city in the world. You know, when you're living in the city, you have no idea <laughs> where you are comparisons to everywhere else right. outside of your city. Yeah. So you get a report like this. we got to highlight our city. But we also have to highlight what some of the people are thinking when they when they retire about this you're going from work-life balance to just life because work is gone. That's right. And we actually have a pretty good city regardless of which side you look at, while you're working or while you're retired. That's exactly right. We're going to go all the way to Berlin for some of the, to talk to one of the authors of the study to get why. why. How did we make it, right? So stick around for that. And, you know, we often talk about lifestyle. We, we talk a lot about experience now, right? And I have to tell you, as I think about uh, aging and I watch our clients go through this and we think about the experiences they want to have, fundamentally, health becomes an important aspect. You've got to have good physical and mental health to do it. Yeah, you know, we create this list of things we want to do in our retirement. Um, some of it is short-lived, meaning in the first couple of years, you kind of want to clear your, your to-do list that you have yeah. in your jar. But you also want to do things or have experiences for longer periods of time. And the one thing that gets in the way is health. Yeah, and, and it can. And we can be preventative. Correct. Right. And one of the questions that we've, we've done lots of these, these shows and we talk a little bit about what can you do to be preventative and, you know, you get workout and, um, uh, and good nutrition. But we're going to get down to some of the specifics. And specifically, I want to know if supplements can actually help. Yeah. Okay. And so we'll get a definitive answer on that today. Um, I want to talk in, in terms of markets, uh, what the bond market's telling us. And I know that's a really, as soon as I say that, everybody goes, oh, oh sleepy. Bond market. Going to be boring. boring. Right. <laughs> I get it. Uh, I, I, I do get it. But it's very interesting to me that watching bond yields, particularly in the U.S., the 10-year Treasury yield, slowly drifting back. We're now back to probably a rate we a yield that we haven't seen since February, right? What is that telling us? Yeah, it's interesting when you, when you position it that way because what the bond market does is gives us 
somewhat of a heads up of what's coming up down the down the road. And if inflation was a big issue, right. you'd see interest rates go up really, really quickly. And it did for a short period of time. Yeah. And then it tapers back down to where we were back in February uh, before the noise started. Yeah. And so that's a very interesting piece. Now, part of it could be the lever of the, the central bankers trying to calm this thing down. Sure. And part of it is the open market that says, hang on, maybe this inflation number that we're expecting to have is not as permanent as we think it could be. Or as bad as it could be. Or it could be also indicating something for you growth guys, right? That maybe the acceleration in the growth is slowing down. Yeah. Right? So there's a whole bunch of really interesting things that, you know, everybody thinks we're the sleepy guys and the bond market guys and we're scared of everything and you love to pick on me for that. But it is often, it is, you know, the bond market, I love to say, is a, is a market that can take countries down. Oh, yeah. Right? The stock market can take companies down. Yeah. So it, it is, it can be very insightful as to what it's telling us and what the big money is doing and where is the money flow going and who's protecting. And it is telling us something different than what the headlines that we often see in the paper and the and the news are. It's very interesting. Before we came into the studio to do this, I was putting our letter together that we send out to our clients every month about what's happening in the portfolio and some of the commentary. And some of the commentary that I've been reading and seeing relates to the bond market. The bond market hasn't so shown big signs of inflation. Right. Um, it also signals to me that this whole value buy right. is not as strong as people position it to be because... There's a whole bunch of assumptions that need to happen for, in order for all these value-based companies to take off. Part of it is you need to see more government stimulus right away. Part of it is you need to see a continuation of benefits that people are having when they're not employed. Right. That's going to stop at some point right. or reduce or have some sort of change. Uh, the next part of that the bond market is also signaling is, is telling me that in order for these value-based companies to continue to grow, there has to be artificial expansion of the economy. Right. And what I mean by artificial, someone, something, some entity right. is influencing it. It's not on its own, which then says to me, hang on, should I be buying value-based companies in the growth bucket, or should I be looking more back to growth companies because they can do it over any economic cycle? And you're starting to see that rotation go back now. It's very interesting yeah. how short-lived this big value buy was. And the differential between value and growth was large this year so far, but not large over the last 25 years. Yeah. So when you start to get back to what was called reversion of the mean, yeah. you're starting to see, well, maybe this is not all value or all growth. It's best to have a bit of each or start to pick quality over a style of investing. Yeah, because part of what we talk about also, Faisal, is a junk rally. So, you know, you get companies that get caught up in this tide lifts all ships sort of mentality, <laughs> right? And and sometimes uh, unfairly traded valuations they shouldn't be at. We've Crazy. got other influences in the market that may be impacting companies like that. So that, that could influence indexes and so on and so forth. But ultimately, quality becomes important, right? So when you're when you're doing your analysis, I think it's important, regardless of the economic conditions, to have a balance or a mix of those things. But ultimately, they have to be fundamentally strong companies. Here, here's something that um, our work has been going on. When you look at quality, yep. 
the bond market can tell you what type of company has good quality based on the credit rating of the company. You bet. When you have lower credit rating companies, they're known as junk bonds, high yield bonds. Yep. You can see, and, and the, the lower the rating, those companies' stock have taken off in the last 12 months. They are poor quality. They have not been given an upgrade in their credit rating. Correct. So think about this. Think about you lending to your family member some money, and you know they're never going to pay you back, or they have a high, hard chance of paying you back. Right. It's more like a gift. Right. It's a gift. Right. Right. But you're still going to give it to them, call it a loan. All of a sudden, the value of their life, their net worth takes yep. off. You're going to go, how the heck does this individual, my nephew, who can't even put two nickels together, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lend it to him. Only, the only reason why I am because he's related to me, and his net worth is taken off. You kind of wonder how long can that last? Right, and you don't see the bond market doing the same thing as the stock market. You don't see bond investors going in to bid up this in a frenzy to bid not up the, frenzy. the value of yeah. their debt. It's bid up because they're looking for alternatives for yield. Right, but it's not a bid up. Now, by the way, my nephew is not a deadbeat guy. <laughs> just for the record, I love you. <laughs> don't worry about it. I'm just using as an example before I get a phone call or something like that. <laughs> I would say it, boy, you're on a limb. <laughs> right, so, so, but it, but it, in that, if you use that as an analogy and you look at that and you say, okay, how does this happen? The bond market really tells me a lot as a stock guy. Mm -hmm. The bond market tells us a lot about an economy, about a currency, about a credit rating, about where things are headed. And like, and like many, many money managers around the world, they do look at that information. What I find very interesting is how many money managers don't look at that stuff. Right. Really cool research study that came out that has Calgary amongst the cities with the best uh, balance between work and life. The work-life balance, we actually did pretty well. We were ranked 13th yeah. in the entire world, which is un unbelievable yep. because if you look at all the countries around the world. And cities, yeah. yeah and, and cities, you find Calgary in there, which is wow, surprise, surprise. And this, this kind of data, you know, has come from all the way from a different country, too. So it's, well, not, that's a, right. it's not a Canadian study. That's right. We're, we're going to welcome Pablo Martinez, uh, who is a researcher of the study here, all the way from Berlin. Thank you for taking the time uh, in your, out of your evening in Berlin to join us, Pablo. No, thank you for having me in the show. I'm happy to, to, to talk with you guys. Well, I, I would love to know a little bit about the, the research study, and in particular, of all the countries and all the cities in the world, I'd like to know a little bit about, about how you how we ended up as Calgary. How did we end up on that list, first of all, never mind ranked 13th? Well, you know, this is the second time the studies is done. Um, it was done in 2019. It was paused last year uh, because it was not a very good year to talk about work-life balance. Uh, we were in the middle of the pandemic. But the research has been ongoing for the past three years. And we usually look about 500 cities. Um, we look at topics that are important to, in terms of, of overworking, vacation taking, um, also the livability aspects, uh, like how much maternity time you have, how good healthcare it is, and, and uh, different assets of the city, like the air quality and, and how much access to green spaces do you have. Now, how do Calgary end up there? Um, it, it's funny, you know, we, we wanted to really make a focus on North America. There is about 50 U.S. cities of which only one made it to, you know, in, in the top 25. 
Um, yet there is uh, four Canadian cities in the top 20. Uh, I think that uh, Canada Canadian cities just just do well. It's a, it's a good place to live. Period. Look That's amazing. That. Look at that. Okay, let's talk about Calgary then. Yep. Give us some of the highlights that you have about why why Calgary made the list. Well, um, Calgary does well in in several. I mean, it does well in in most of the factors. You you do not make it to to the top twenty uh, without you know if you do bad in any you get uh, heavily punished. Uh, but th there is a few factors where of course. Calgary does very well. Air quality, for example. Air quality, um, you score one of the highest scores. I think there's other two cities with with same score. Access to green spaces is pretty good. The percentage of the population that is overworked is, you know, below 20%, uh, which is okay. You do take uh, three times the vacation time that your friends in the South take uh, in the U.S. So you, you, you do take your decent amount of vacations, and you get a decent amount of time of parental leave. Uh, there is uh, openness in society. Uh, you score well for health care, for access to mental care. Um, and, and that's really kind of the summary of, of reasons why the city does so well. Pablo, I work with Dave Popwitz. There's no way that I'm underworked comparisons to anybody else out there. Uh, this guy really works me crazy. So when you say we're, we're, we're not as overworked as other cities, what does that really mean? Well, um, you know, we we started to look at what a, a week's work it is. You know, you you know, you assume in some countries it's forty hours, in others thirty hours, uh, and we're counting how many people are working with with a certain level of intensity. So basically, what is the percentage of the population that has taken uh, more work, uh, or or you know, this is based on on statistics that works more than 40 hours a week. And uh, the percentage, if I'm not wrong, um, I can look at the number, it's about 38%, no, 15.5% 15, 15 of the population um, actually does not work more than 40 hours. Wow. That's interesting. What, um, Pablo, I'd like to know what we didn't score well in. What, uh, what were some of the areas as a city we could, uh, we could improve upon in order to move up in the rankings? Well, I mean, like I said, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to say that you didn't do well in something. If you compare it to other cities, you did well across the board. Uh, but when it comes to uh, people having multiple jobs, uh, that is one that you score kind of middle of the place. Uh, there is a lot of people that need to have more than one job. Um, they're also in the, in the affordability part. Um, you are kind of middle of the table. Uh, you do earn enough to, to, to make a living, so the majority of the population uh, earns according to cost of life, uh, but there is definitely a percentage of the city that, that, that still under-earns uh, considering the cost of living for the city. So, Pablo, we are coming up with a civic election in, in this city within a few months. Um, what would your um, advice be to those candidates that when they're running for city mayor, what should they be looking at to increase the quality of life here for a better a better score, not only just the score, but a better lifestyle here in this city? Well, you know, um, the last year has been very challenging, I think, across, across the board for, for every city around the world. And one of the things that we kind of learned is that, um, you know, we, we don't want to live to work, we want to work to live. Um, making sure 
that the businesses in the area are ready uh, to take care of the employees' needs, uh, mental health care. I mean, this is something that will be important in the weeks to come. But most importantly, I, I think that uh, making the city a good place for remote workers is important. Um, you know, right now there's very few countries that have legislated to allow having working visas. Uh, it used to be the need of a city to create jobs by bringing companies. Now you don't need to bring the companies, you can bring the, the employees if you want, um, but you need to create a visa for this, a system, and this is more like a national issue. But of course, cities will be vain to bring these uh, digital nomad workers uh, to their cities. And, and I think that this is something important because it brings uh, taxpayers, interesting people that already have jobs. Uh, so, so I think that that would be the challenge for the next uh, 10 years. Uh, getting used to that new normal, which I think is here to stay, although offices will open again, uh, people will now get to pick where they live uh, without the need of, of, of this being associated to where they work. Um, and that is a great opportunity for cities. And a few cities around the world are already uh, creating laws and, and you know countries are creating laws to, to, to adapt to this. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important that Canada does it. They're, they're ahead of the pack in, in livability. So so it would be a great uh, place for many people to move in and live and a great thing for the local economy. Pablo, we're going to have to wrap it up pretty quickly here, but was there any other country on the list that had as many or more cities in the top 20 as Canada did? No. Canada had the most cities in the top 20. Um, of course, you you have the, the Nordic countries that, that usually their cities do very well on work-life balance, like Helsinki was number one, Oslo was number two. Uh, Stockholm was uh, number four, Copenhagen number five. So, so, so other than the Nordic countries kind of together, Canada has the most cities in the ranking of any country in the world. Awesome. Pablo, we want to thank you very much. Appreciate you joining us from Berlin and taking some time with us today. No, thank you for having me in the show. We've been joined by Pablo Martinez, the researcher of the study, Cities with the Best Work-Life Balance in 2021. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, given that we've got some of the cities that can support that work-life balance and we're going to have to work on the lifestyle and make sure that people are maximizing their enjoyment of that. You know, we, we, we speak to hundreds and hundreds of people via our webinar and seminars that we've done over the years and we ask them what's the biggest risk in their retirement. Yeah. Without fail, every single month we do it, the words health and my future health care come yep. up time and time again. And so part of it is is people are concerned about what type of services are available, but very little conversation is happening on preventive care right. or how we can actually change things right now to prevent or minimize the impacts of some of the biggest diseases that we've seen in this country uh, in a long time. Uh, and part of it, of course, is a healthy lifestyle, which would include eating and nutrition. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and listen, we're going to, uh, uh, I think we're going to explore a little bit about this, particularly around how do you feed your brain to keep it healthy. You know, my family's been affected by dementia. So many people are. That concerns me personally, right? Um, and it's not just obviously the brain, but that's you want to make sure that it's you're as sharp as possible as absolutely. we get older. Uh, Orsha uh, Magyar, who is a nutritional consultant and a CEO and founder uh, of uh, neuro, uh, nutrition, Neurotrition, excuse me, I hope I got that right, Neurotrition. Neurotrition. Say yes? three times fast. I got it. I All got right. it right. There we go. Orsha, I think I got it right. Hi, welcome to the show. <laughs> Neurotrition, right? That's good. That's great. Right on. Okay, good. 
Um, so, listen, we, we, we can't do justice in the time that we have necessarily on this, but I think it's really important to remind people, um, as Faisal, as you said, this is we can be preventative. There's lots of things that we can do as individuals to make sure that we put the probability on, on our side that we're going to have a good, long, healthy aging process. And uh, I would love to get your opinion, uh, Orsha, on a little bit about the, you know, as we age, the dietary changes that our body needs in order to um, give us the best chance at making that uh, a success. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's such a pleasure to be here today because my, my initial passion before I became a nutritional consultant was neuroscience. And I've always had such a fascination for the aging brain. And the, the big thing, the first thing that I just want dispel, to dis, dispel is, you know, there's no magic number where now we're aging or now we're right. getting older or aged. We begin aging and our brains and bodies begin aging the day we're born. So from a preventative standpoint, it's gonna be really important to take control of things, including your nutrition, physical activity, as early as possible. And then the other thing that I dispel a lot with people who ask me and they're already aging, they say, Orsha, but it's too late. I'm in my 70s, I'm in my 80s. I have a client right now who's 91. He says, is it too late? And it's also never too late because our brains are plastic throughout our entire lives. So nutrition can can really have a huge impact on um, not only preventing, mitigating, slowing progression of those classic aging-related disorders, including dementia diseases like Alzheimer's disease, um, but also just keeping our memory strong, keeping our cognitive abilities really good throughout our entire lives. Orsha, I, I, we've had many, many medical and scientific uh, experts mm -hmm. on this show and the most common theme we hear is diet and exercise diet and exercise yeah. that's the most common one that we hear okay when it comes to exercise we hear about that quite a bit when it comes to diet not so much in regards to what people should be doing now a recent article that Dave and I read that we brought you on the show on was talking about about um, you know aging gracefully talking about the uh, the microbiome in your gut, and, and some of the some of the, the types of foods that will actually help all this stuff. So let's give our audience a bit more information on some of the types of foods that we should have. Sure. So science tells us that around age 60, 65, our microbiome, which is the population of bacteria that live inside our intestines, starts to um, diminish in number and in variety. So we need to help build that as much as we can. So there's two kind of broad categories that we wanna make sure we're including each and every single day, ideally at every meal and snack. The first are foods that are high in probiotics. Those are the actual beneficial bacteria that we want inside our gut. And so examples of foods that are high in probiotics are those that are fermented. So the most well-studied, of course, is yogurt. And we always recommend plain, unsweetened yogurt. Then of course, there is raw sauerkraut or other fermented raw vegetables like real pickles, kimchi, which is a Korean delicacy, those sorts of things. Um, a lot of our patients love sourdough. Real sourdough bread is another example of a probiotic food. And then as science starts to shift and show us even more about this connection between the gut microbiome and our brain aging gracefully, there's another category called prebiotics that is less well known. Most people have heard of probiotics before. But prebiotics are the favorite food of the probiotics. And these are very special fibers found in whole grains, 
fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. These are what the healthy bacteria in our intestines love to eat to help not only our gut health as we age, but science is telling us our brain to age gracefully. So we've got the pro and then the prebiotic foods. You've mentioned quite a bit of different types of foods that a person can have. We're very fortunate in a country like ours that all these types of foods are available. But let's look globally. What, what region in the world using their, their natural type of, of uh, delicacies, their cuisine, which would you say are the, the places like you mentioned kimchi being a South Korean or Korean type of flavor? Um, do they have the best mix? Like pretty much what I'm looking for is, can I just go to a Korean restaurant, have what I need to have and, and enjoy good, good food and a good brain health as well? <laughs> you can go. We work with a lot of restaurants and we bring in brain healthy items. And the good news is you can go to any restaurant if you know what to order, because every ethnicity well before science was telling us what was good for the brain and the aging brain, these other cultures already knew. So you can go to any restaurant and you can order something. So if you want to give me an example, I will tell you of an ethnicity, an ethnic food type restaurant, and I will be able to tell you an item from their, from their cultural cuisine. That is great. Oh, can you get it in pierogies and kubasa? Here we go, Mr. Ukra- <laughs> Mr. Ukrainian is speaking now. <laughs> So I'm Eastern European, so I'm all about the sauerkraut. So with the pierogies, you would want to add that real sauerkraut to it, and you're good. It's it's something to help feed those beneficial bacteria. Um, Orsha, I got I want to ask you a question about nutraceuticals. So um, mm-hmm. there seems to be an active debate, or at least I can't seem to get a um, an accurate assessment of whether taking uh, an omega-3 fatty acid fish oil pill, you know, is beneficial or not beneficial. And I get that if you can incorporate everything into your diet naturally, that's probably the best way to do it. But maybe your opinion on this would be helpful. Yeah, that's such a good question. I get asked a lot because I take a very holistic standpoint and my team and I really pride ourselves on being holistic with our patients. But the truth is, if someone's sick or if someone is at risk of a degenerative neurological disorder, when I go to the science, which is my, my training, I don't know how much of these foods to tell you to eat. So based on my training, I will go to supplements a lot of the time. Having said that, of course, a supplement, as the name suggests, should be a supplement to an already healthy diet. But that's just not possible for a lot of people. And like I said, if you're already sick, I am, I am recommending a lot of supplements. And I think in terms of brain aging, the two we're looking at that are the best researched are going to be your fish oil, omega-3 and a good quality uh, probiotic. No probiotic, yeah. Okay, so I think that's a fairly definitive answer and, uh, and I appreciate that. I, I think we generally have pretty good diets. I don't mean just you and I, but most people do. But I do, I add supplements as you know. I do too, uh, And yeah. you do too, yeah. yeah. And I've, I've, again, I've had recommendations for and against. I don't think it can hurt. And maybe that's maybe this, the follow-up question. If we're wrong on the science, it's not gonna hurt us by having extra supplements, is it? There are a few supplements that you need to be careful with around certain medications. For example, and I see this a lot in our aging um, patients, blood people who are on blood thinners. So then you need to be careful with taking a fish oil or even a vitamin E or even a garlic supplement. So there are a handful, I would say, that you know if you are taking medications, I would I would ask someone, ask your pharmacist, ask a nutritionist, and we'll be able to steer you in the right direction. Orsha, I think that we have gotten some specific answers that we yes. haven't gotten before, and I find that really, really helpful. So thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. We've been joined by Orsha uh, Magyar, who's a nutritional consultant. She's also the CEO and the founder uh, of Neurotrition, 
Which, see, I got it right this time. There nutrition. You go. Yeah, so you <laughs> feel free to look her up uh, on the web if you need some more information about that. Faisal, there's been some good returns this year to date. Is that a sign of problems to come? Ooh. Okay, I think that's a, that's, we should debate this because it's an interesting conversation we're having with it lots is. of people. And just for those of you who are on radio and can't see Mr. Pop, which is already sitting up in his chair, leaning forward. I'm ready for a fight. He's ready, ready for a fight. He, oh, you're ready for a fight? For okay. A fight. Okay, so let, let's take your, your side of this. Is there is there trouble to happen when you have a when you have good returns? Let's say in 2020. Now we're in 2021. Markets have done pretty well. Mm -hmm. Are we seeing a sign of trouble? Yep, we are seeing signs of trouble. Walk me through it. Okay, so there's lots of people. Uh, uh, there's a I did a um, uh, social media piece, and the the beginning of it, Faisal, I said, can you get return without risk? Hmm. And the answer is you can, but only in hindsight. <laughs> but only in hindsight. And so, um, listen, I'm happy for everybody that's got good returns. But what, what I'm, I'm uh, terrified of is an, uh, is an undisciplined approach to this. So if equity markets have done extremely well and you're way overweight uh, on equities, you have uh, created a potential danger for yourself if you're not careful. If you're chasing there we go. returns. There we go. Okay. Uh, which then has you deviate from your strategy, your long-term goals. You are asking for a problem. So, Dave, here's, here's where a lot of individuals, and I'm going to talk about investors, dealing with an advisor yep. or doing it themselves. Right. Okay? They will chase to get the best return in that year. Correct. Okay? And that's normal. And I'll, get, I'll, I'll talk about the industry as a whole. You will see the industry, let's take the funds, the mutual funds, ETF industry, yep. part, a part yep. of our industry. They will promote whatever has done well. 100%. So come buy this investment. Look how great it's done. Yep. We'll get phone calls as advisors from these companies. They'll leave messages on our voicemail saying, we've done 15% this year. Come buy our fund. Right. Okay? So you're getting onto this, this bandwagon chasing return. Yep. And people will chase return. As long as you're chasing after good returns, you're going to make money, which is my biggest problem. I'm going to take the side of this is completely uh, an issue that our industry needs to work on. Mm -hmm. We are in a, in a world where we only get paid if the client is with us. Mm -hmm. Okay? And in order to keep that client, many advisors, many portfolio managers will do whatever it takes, meaning provide any type of product, chase any type of investment just to keep the client. Even if that that full disclosure of risk on the downside is not explained. And right. what I mean is people will say, well, this is a medium risk or high risk investment. Mm -hmm. You know, it can go down. Are you comfortable? Well, yeah, it's going up right now. Of course you're going to jump in. Yep. Right? You know, there, this is a beautiful boat, Dave. Why don't you come jump on the boat? Let's have a great No one tells you how many sharks are in the ocean. Right. And if anything happens on this boat, those sharks are hungry. Right. Right? So no one talks about it. So I take the position that it's, it's our industry responsibility to sit down and say, hang on, maybe this is a good return, but it may not provide you with the risk and return you're looking for because when things go bad, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be in a lot of trouble, and here's the impact. Here's what this investment has done in the past. And I have concerns about that with our industry side. So I take the, I, I say my industry is at part to blame on this uh, because they're not actually doing what's right for the client. They're just trying to give what the client wants. Yeah. 
And, and listen, as, as pros, we're supposed to do that, but I'm going to throw a bit back onto the consumer as well. Okay. Okay. Because I think people need to take some responsibility for understanding their long-term objectives. Right? And, and this is part of the problem that we have when we talk to people. What do, you know, tell me about what the goal is. What is this money supposed to do for you? Right? And if people don't understand that, then they can get themselves into a place where money is about return and they can start chasing for no apparent reason other than return. And guess what? Only in hindsight do you get return without risk. And that's the problem, right? Yeah. I don't have a problem with people making great returns. That's fantastic. The problem is it balanced with what they need. So they need to ask the question. Okay, I think a, a consumer needs to ask the question. An investor needs to ask the question, how much risk am I taking on here to we, do this? We never get that question. Dave. I was just going to say, so last year we had fantastic returns. I didn't get one phone call from anybody saying, have we upped the risk in this portfolio? Okay, so I got a couple. I got a, and you know who these people are? They are individuals who've been on, on boards or committees for pension plans. Okay. So they have, they have to take the due diligence report of risk. Right. Right? They have to go on that approach. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Right? So I've, we've had a couple. Because yeah. some of these executives who've been on pension plan boards have become clients of ours, and they're taking the... But no one else. Right. When we have good response on, on, on good numbers in the portfolio... Right. No one asks us, whoa, 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 did you take on too much risk to get this? Right. On the opposite side, mm -hmm. if the market is outperforming our portfolio for a short period of time, let's say six months, why are we not outperforming? Well, why uh, are we not doing as well or better? But, but it's even a different. It's, it's uh, the, whatever the best performing market is. Yeah, they'll pick whichever one. It, yeah. it, it, it's amazing. So the internal benchmark that people choose can lead to... Um, and the expectations it set can lead to some really bad decision making. So I agree with you to some point when you when you when you take it from a client perspective, and you you put your your feet in their shoes and you say, okay, I want that best return, yeah. that market. Yeah. And then the next year it's a different market because last year it was the S and P five hundred or, or Nasdaq. Nasdaq. This year it's the TSX so far. Right. Okay, I want. Why don't we get TSX? But last year you were saying Nasdaq. So what are you expecting that money manager to do? Right. To know where to go before it's already there, which is your hindsight comment, right? So they have to be able to chase whatever's going to be the best. And then when if they're wrong, what's the risk of that? Right. I don't think those those kind of questions are being asked. So I do agree with you when it comes to there is some responsibility on the the consumer side or the the investor side. I think it's a greater responsibility yeah. on the advisor side to explain that. 100%. Why were we not 100% NASDAQ last year? We right. would have crushed it. Right. Okay? Why are we not 100% TSX this year? We can explain that. And people will get frustrated because they're chasing their return without really quantifying risk. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, and all I'm asking people to do, I agree with you. This is our responsibility as an industry to balance that approach. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be 100% stock or 100% bond. It all depends on your family's needs, wants, desires, risk, profile, age, all of those things. Correct. All is important, right? So none of the strategies are wrong, um, given whatever the inputs are. But what you have to, you have to do is you have to understand a, what the strategy is. Yeah. And all I'm asking people to do right now is just if you're asking about return, ask about risk as well. Educate yourself about that. Have that as one of your internal benchmarks. So let's go back to the beginning part of this, this session, this segment that we're talking about. And you said, 
that a good performance in your portfolio could be dangerous. Mm -hmm. After this part of our conversation, I 100% agree with that comment. Right. What, you're, what we're expecting people to do, regardless if you're the money manager, the investor, the do-it-yourself investor, whoever you may be, if you've got fantastic returns this year or even last year, the question is, what's the risk that I'm taking in order to, to get that return? Right on. That's it. So I believe there's a danger spot. And, and I'll tell you, the people who ask me for a second opinion, Dave, right now, um, I'd say over the last eight, maybe even 12 months, 100% stocks. Yeah. Look at my portfolio, Faisal. What do you think? 100% stocks. And then I start putting those stocks in our, in our system, in our computer system, and it gives me what's called the standard deviation or volatility. And I explain to them that on worst case scenarios, right. downside right. risk, 20, 30, 40, 50%. Are you comfortable with that? Well, no. Right. But these are doing well. Yeah. Until the sharks come out right. and they bite. Right. And I, then what happens? Uh, agreed. A strategy isn't about day trading today, right? It's about matching uh, a, long, a, a longer term objective and the strategy to get you. That's why we talk about the buckets within and how a, to structure. Within a range of volatility you're willing to accept. Exactly right. That's the risk side that most people don't really talk about. So I'm glad you brought this topic yeah. up. It's very rare that both you and I are right at the same time. <laughs> uh, so that's one I'm glad it's we It's a did. unicorn day. That's it's right. a unicorn day. There we go. <laughs> you know, we, we're going to talk about these five uh, pillars of an investment strategy, how to actually use all five to down, protect downside risk and promote uh, an upside potential yep. without taking the, the, the risk or without taking any major risk to your retirement, basically bulletproofing your retirement. We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, July 13th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. On behalf, uh, sorry, on behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, I want to thank you for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money, and we look forward to chatting with you again next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.